Why does it seem like Jesus speaks in parables with the aim of, of letting the, you know, the crowd be confused, scratching their heads, wondering what he's getting at, and then go in private and, and, and give the moral of the story to his disciples? So we have a, one of Jesus' parables in front of us, and the, the parables of Jesus in the New Testament are some of the most famous and uh, beloved passages of the Bible. We can probably rattle off uh, the given names of some of them, the sower and the seed, uh, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, and, uh, and many others. We love them in part because we feel like uh, they help us understand and remember important things about uh, God's kingdom and being a follower of Jesus, right? Uh, so when you think of, uh, for instance, the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, I wonder what comes to mind for you uh, when you remember that parable, you know, uh, uh, a man was walking on a road and, and he was beset by robbers and he was beaten and left for dead. And uh, Well, when you think of that parable that Jesus told, what lesson sticks with you? What comes to mind? Shout it out if you're brave, otherwise just be thinking about what it is. Yeah, so helping others, uh, these parables feel like uh, little morality tales at first glance. You know, be kind to strangers, help people uh, who may be in need. Um, and this is the way the world generally he hears these stories, to be sure. But in the church, every time uh, we encounter these uh, beloved parables and dig a little deeper, we find out that it is, in fact, difficult to reach the bottom, to plumb the depths of meaning of these stories. The, the, the priest, for instance, who passed by uh, the, the man who had been beaten and robbed, well, that priest had ritual purity laws uh, to consider. He, 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 if he's, if he's going to be you know, physically touching a, a bleeding man and getting you know, blood on his hands. He's not going to be able to go perform the duties he's likely on his way to do, which is to, to oversee the sacrificial wor worship of the people so that the people can receive consolation for their souls. They might, they might get uh, God's forgiveness, and, and he can't give all of that a way to stop and help this, this bleeding stranger. I mean, there's, there's more to this story and, and, and the hero of this story. I mean, told by Jesus, who is said to be, uh, so often said to be a rabbi, I mean, the hero of this story, uh, when you dig a little deeper and look at the context, it can't, it can't be a Samaritan. I mean, not if a Jewish rabbi is telling the story. A Samaritan is not going to be the hero of the story. Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't, and like each other, you can get along. So, I can tell you that after 30 years of preaching on these parables, I, I never get to the bottom of them. They always have something new to say. We're always hearing them when we're at a different place in our lives than we were last time, for instance. And we tend to think of the parables as teaching techniques used to help make spiritual things easier for people to grasp. 
And Jesus is the master teacher with insight into the nature of eternal things for us mere mortals. We expect them to make complicated things, you know, simple, at least within our reach. Confusing things plain. After all, isn't this the, the point of, of telling these, these little stories that everybody can remember? Well, you know, apparently not, because look at what Mark says. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them and they, as they were able to hear it. Uh, he did not speak to them except in parables. And, and then he goes on to say, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is a curious thing if you let yourself ponder it for a moment. Why does it seem like Jesus speaks in parables with the aim of, of letting the, you know, the crowd be confused and scratching their heads wondering what he's getting at and then go in private and, and, and give the moral of the story to his disciples? So maybe, if, maybe the answer is right here inside of this parable of the mustard seed we have in front of us this morning. So let's take a closer look. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed that a sower scatters on the ground. And once the sower sows, she goes to bed after the 10 o'clock news and sleeps like a baby. She's not worrying or wondering about whether or not this seed will begin to grow. She wakes up in the morning. She has her coffee and runs a few errands. And after a couple of weeks of doing nothing more about that seed, really, she starts to see the seed grow. First the stalk and the head, then the full grain in the head. And when the time comes for harvest, she goes to the barns, sharpens her sickle, and sets to gathering up this bounty of the earth. The seed grows. How, Jesus says, by itself. Autam otan. Autam otan is the word in the Greek from which we eventually derive the English word automatic. The harvest is right there in that tiny seed all along. It doesn't really need the farmer to do much about it to activate it because it's all present in the seed. And, and Jesus says the farmer knows not how. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And we say, wow, well, you know, it's really helpful, Jesus. Thank you. Kingdom of heaven is like a seed that, we, that does what it does and it's automatic and we don't really know how it works. Well, I think it's fair to see that, say that Jesus understood language and story and imagery. How could Jesus communicate the deep truth of God's kingdom of grace and mercy and redemption to Galilean peasants back in the first century? Do it in a way that it would still mean something to uh, complex and confused citizens in the postmodern 21st century? Or how could Jesus get through to people in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota with the same passage that's also reaching people, moving them, inspiring them, making them think, gathering them in, in some remote village in Tanzania this morning. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a seed, like a, a mustard seed. Consider what Jesus' image does here. The prophets had taught the people to think of themselves, the people of Israel, as the mighty cedars of Lebanon. Hmm? Towers of strength and faithfulness. And along comes this itinerant Jewish rabbi and tells them the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. They had lost their political autonomy by Jesus' day. They are occupied by a foreign force, the empire, the, the, the Roman occupation. They still held on to the belief, though, that God had called them to be a light to the nations. And along comes Jesus, and he says that this concept you have of yourselves as the, as the mighty cedars of Lebanon, well, he turns that ancient Hebraic concept into a mustard seed. It's all contained right there in that tiny seed. Reminds me of Horton Hears a Who, remember? It's all right there. You can't see it. You don't know exactly how it works. It's ludicrous. The mustard seed was among the tiniest of the seeds, and now we see as we look that the, the kingdom of heaven becomes like the greatest shrub so that even those most free of all creatures, the birds of the air who can fly anywhere they want, choose to come and use the shade and build their nests in the shrub that results. When we struggle to understand God's kingdom and our place in that kingdom, maybe we are often tempted to look for the unusual, the spectacular, the miraculous. And Jesus brings it down to this shrub that grows along the dirt trails between Galilee and Jerusalem, this shrub that we find on the edges of our own backyards. We're often attempt to look the extraordinary, the outstanding. We love those miracle stories in the first century and modern-day miracles, but the parables of Jesus want us to see God's presence in the ordinary. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus describes, is far more intimate and at hand than any once-in-a-lifetime divine intervention. So, the kingdom of heaven is like like hugging your parents for the first time in over a year of not being able to even see them. The kingdom of heaven is like watching your child step back onto the school bus to head back for in-person learning. The kingdom of heaven is like learning to be an advocate an ally, a collaborator, an accomplice, a co-conspirator for those who yearn for and work for social justice and equity and peace. The kingdom of heaven is like a friend who shows up at just the right time. The kingdom of heaven is like coming into a place of worship and feeling like you are part of the community of faith. The kingdom of heaven is like 
Like what? Look at your own life and discover how many kingdom likes you'll find there. Jesus so often spoke of the importance of small things, little things, a mustard seed, a cup of cold water, one talent, a widow's mite, a lost coin, a lost sheep, kindness done to one of the least of these. This kingdom is at hand so that you can find it in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your anxieties, in the midst of your shame, in the midst of all that distracts you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand so that it can find you. The kingdom of heaven is like it's like hope that grows. O Tom, O Tom, on its own, without my good intentions, my perseverance, without my righteous in indignation, without my biblical knowledge, my good eating habits, my patriotism, or my wise investing, the kingdom of heaven is like that. A tiny seed. A remnant. Ready to burst forth with new life. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Amen. So the kingdom is like a group of people who gather together to hear God's word, uh, to hear that they are forgiven, chosen children of God before sending them out to be that kingdom at hand to those uh, we encounter during this week. Be thinking about the ways that God's kingdom is revealed uh, to you. And so we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.